Welcome to 30 Minutes on 91.3 KXCI Tucson. I'm Amanda Schager. My guests today are Montserrat Caballero and Casey Chimney Star Condit. They're both from the Taking Back the Night Planning Committee and Tucson's Community Take Back the Night 2017 is going to be taking place on Wednesday, April 12th from 4 to 9 p.m. at the City of South Tucson Municipal Complex on the corner of South 6th and 26th Street. Welcome, Montserrat and Casey. Thank you. Thank you. Tell us more about your efforts on this community event. Well, we're so grateful to be here with you in April, which is Sexual Assault Awareness Month, to talk to you about Take Back the Night. Take Back the Night is a community initiative organized by volunteers, professionals, students, teenagers, elders, family members, all folks who are trying to say sexual violence needs to come to an end. And Take Back the Night is an event to support survivors, to create a space for survivors to come together, and to create a space where all of us can stand together and say no to sexual violence. How did you get involved in this, Casey? Well, I've been involved uh, since I was a child. My parents brought me to rallies, and in fact, that speaks to the history of this incredible event. It's been organized locally since the 70s. It has roots in the women's rights movement, rape crisis rights movement, Chicano and indigenous activist movements, and queer rights movements. And that's really, really key to the intersectionality of this event. Families have been bringing people together around these issues for decades. We're trying to keep that history going. I've been involved here locally in Tucson since the early 2000s. There was a little bit of a lull with regards to more grassroots activity happening around sexual violence and addressing sexual violence. So there was a very conscious effort to bring back specifically Take Back the Night. And so every year there's a real conscious thought to ensuring that during Sexual Assault Awareness Month, there is this coming together of various communities and voices to really focus on supporting survivors, but also moving forward, really starting to address locally, how can we really as a community come together and address sexual assault, support survivors, and really work on the really the most important thing, which is the prevention of it. Which makes so much sense because we know there's no individual community that is unaffected by sexual violence. We know that people of all ages, races, socioeconomic statuses, people from every community have the potential to be surviving these things and sometimes dying from these things. And if we can come together to create a space where more people have the support to speak about what's going on for them, then we have a place to stop it. I also want to really ensure that people feel welcome. And we're hosting this event in South Tucson. Uh, We did it last year for the first time in South Tucson. The event has been held all over the city. We've been at Armory Park. We've been at parks on 4th Avenue. We've been at parks further north. We've been downtown. And last year and this year, we've very specifically focused with and worked with the city of South Tucson and really wanting to make sure that access is not an issue for people and that people really feel that they are represented. I think now more than ever, back to what Casey was talking about, we really need to focus on ensuring that everybody feels welcome, that everybody feels safe. So this year's event, for example, is going to be in both Spanish and English. I'm going to be speaking and I'm going to be speaking pretty much entirely in Spanish. And and sexual violence does affect everybody. But there are certain groups that are more vulnerable. Youth, children, women, 
LGBTQ, and in particular within the LGBT community, folks who are even more vulnerable, like trans people. Casey was talking about people being killed, and we know that trans people are specifically targeted, and sexual violence is often a very conscious way to target people. And also immigrants and refugees. There's a lot of vulnerability going on right now, and being targeted because you belong to a vulnerable group never means it's your responsibility. It's never anybody's responsibility, and we should never say that. But we also need to actively acknowledge that there are people who are more vulnerable because they carry less credibility in this world by virtue of just who they are, by virtue of walking down the street and someone perceives me to be of a group that doesn't belong or that person is perceiving me as someone who is quote, not normal, whatever that means, they may choose to use sexual violence against me. And I think that that's a hard conversation to have. It's a difficult conversation, but it's a conversation we have to have. And we know that sexual violence is a sometimes blurry umbrella term. When we're talking about sexual violence, we're talking about sexual assault, rape. We're talking about childhood sexual trauma. We're talking about people who are getting harassed on the street. We're talking about domestic violence. We're talking about any single person in or out of a relationship, a stranger, someone you know. There's a lot of ways that this is happening. And there are some ways that we talk about it a lot and other ways that there's still a lot of silence. So one of the things that we'll have at this event is a survivor speak out and an open mic. The opportunity for people who are survivors themselves to share their stories, to share their survival strategies, to share their anger in whatever way feels best to them. And it's important to me to say on behalf of the committee that we've asked that no one in attendance be filming or photographing. We know that there are some folks who have been authorized in advance to help capture some of our consenting speakers so that their message can get to people who are unable to attend. But otherwise, we really want to make sure this event is safe in every way possible. And this event, I've always seen it as part holding this space together, part somber. There's a lot of quiet reflection. And there's also anger and also celebration, which I know that that sounds a little counter to what we've been saying and, and the difficulty of even talking about this topic. But at its core, this event is about addressing what we in the biz, if you will, call rape culture. And rape culture is essentially, it permeates our entire society where sexual violence, all of the things that, that Casey mentioned and all of the ways in which somebody can be hurt and terrorized, this isn't something that's happening over there, <laughs> somewhere where I don't live, amongst people that I don't know, amongst those people, people that aren't like me or anyone I know. This is happening everywhere. And what rape culture does is it essentially makes it normal for this to happen. It normalizes this kind of brutality and this kind of violence um, against people. So we don't really bat an eye. And and one of the things that always, um, even the way we talk about it is passive. She was raped. He was raped. As if it's this out-of-body experience that somebody had from this non-human thing that happened to them. So even the way in which we talk about it, it centers on this passive voice. And we never address that someone we know is both an abuser 
and someone we know is a survivor. And what makes it complex is that it may be very well be the same person in some cases, but everybody knows both an abuser and a survivor, whether they actively know it or not. And and that's um, it's it can be a harsh reality. But we know that every year, thousands of people in Tucson, in Pima County, are terrorized, and most of them don't say anything. So I think that this conversation needs to continue to happen. And Take Back the Night is a coming together of all of these complex issues in a way that's open and public and complicated in terms of all these things that this event is. In order to do justice to that, one of the things the committee has done this year is organize events throughout the month. One of those events was a screening held recently at The Loft. And that film and community panel was about toxic masculinity. When we think about knowing a perpetrator, knowing an abuser in our lives, while that could be a person of any gender, we know that many times people who are masculine of center are socialized to enact a particular kind of masculinity that makes it impossible to express emotion, makes it difficult to come forward if you've been a victim, makes you front in a way that asks you to enact violence against other people, verbally and sometimes physically. This film really brought together people to be able to talk about that and to be able to think for ourselves about what role we play in perpetuating this system of violence. When have we remained silent? When have we perpetrated violence? Who could we be talking more to? And who could be more at the table for these conversations? Because we know that sometimes work to end sexual violence has fallen on the shoulders of the incredible women who are many times surviving it. And while those incredible voices are important, we need everyone's voices at that table in order to really meaningfully make a shift in this culture. I think about it in the context of when people say the personal is political, that very old. It's true. I'm raising a biological and male identified boy in our world right now. And he is, you know, of course, he's the love of my life, but it's a constant negotiation to consciously parent in a way that does not perpetrate rape culture, that does not perpetrate him feeling that he is entitled to hurt someone and at the same time also stand up for people. I think that as someone who is raising a child, that's one of the hardest things to happen right now because of the environment that we're in, because we've seen quite a few well-known perpetrators ascend to positions of enormous power and not only ascend to those positions, but be celebrated for the abuse that they have enacted. And that's a hard conversation to have at your kitchen table when you're trying to talk to your child about perpetrating violence. And they say, but wait a minute isn't the person sitting in the White House a bully? Isn't the person sitting in the White House someone who doesn't respect women? That's a very hard conversation to have right now in these times. We need to continue to have them. And this is Tucson's way every year of having that conversation, bringing it to the forefront. So I really, whoever's listening, I really welcome you to come. If you've never come, if you've thought that maybe this has happened to you or you worry that someone you know and love is experiencing this or has experienced this and you're, you wonder, well, how do I get started? This is a great place to start. You're listening to 30 Minutes on 91.3 KXCI Tucson. 
My guests today are Montserrat Caballero and Casey Chimney Star Condit. They're from the Take Back the Night Planning Committee and here to let us know about the upcoming Tucson's Community Take Back the Night, which will be on Wednesday, April 12th from 4 to 9 p.m. at the City of South Tucson Municipal Complex, 1601 South 6th Avenue. That's on the corner of South 6th Avenue and 26th Street. We'd love to tell you a little bit about what's going to be included in this event. In addition to this opportunity to raise awareness where we'll have community resource booths and some interactive art projects, we're also welcoming a beautiful set of performers and speakers. So we're going to be welcoming Esperanza Dance Project, local poets, local actors. We'll be welcoming the Raging Grannies, Boys Are Us Tucson. We'll be welcoming Lando Chill and Seas. We'll also be welcoming Stephanie Noriega Barrios. We'll be welcoming Amy Ostriker. And of course, we'll have an open mic for survivors to share. We'll be starting our event off with a march. We know how energizing marches can be. And I'm told that some of our most creative and talented young dancers are going to be at the forefront of that march from Esperanza Dance Project. We hope that you'll be there for that part and for the very important speaking engagement so that you can feel the full array of emotions that are intended to be inspired at this event. We also always end the event with a candlelight vigil. And it's kind of as the sun is, is starting, as things start to to get a little darker, that these days it's taking a little longer. But as, as the sun is starting to set, we do have a moment of silence. We have a, a candlelight vigil. We allow for people to have that moment. And so that's a beautiful thing to experience we typically have hundreds of people at this event. This is not a small event. And last year in South Tucson, most of the people present were South Tucson residents. It was the South Tucson community who came together. And we expect for that to happen again as well. And we also invite everybody. We're really lucky to also be able to invite some local officials. We have the mayor of South Tucson, who will be speaking in Lefonso Green, Mayor Lefonso Green of South Tucson. We're also going to have Mayor Jonathan Rothschild of Tucson. And we're also going to have Supervisor Richard Elias from Pima County. I think it just speaks to the levels here in Tucson. Everybody talks about uh, Tucson is a special place. And I, I think it is. And I think we do a good job at the grassroots level and at the more official kind of level to talk about and, and attempt to address sexual violence. So we're happy to have them come speak and talk about the local official perspective in terms of addressing this, because of course, it doesn't just happen in South Tucson, where we're going to be. It doesn't just happen in Tucson. It happens all over Pima and Southern Arizona. So we really do welcome everybody to come. In order to make this happen, of course, we've had the tremendous support of not just community organizers who've been a part of the committee, but our sponsors. And so I just want to take a minute to tell you some of the great places here in town that have helped to make all of these events happen. We have the Southern Arizona Center Against Sexual Assault, Emerge Center Against Domestic Abuse, the Culture of Peace Alliance, Kodak, Glue Factory, Flux Studio and Gallery, Hope Incorporated, the Pima County Attorney's Office, Pima Council on Aging, 
the Southern Arizona AIDS Foundation, the Arizona Coalition to End Sexual and Domestic Violence, the YWCA of Southern Arizona, and countless local individuals who helped to make it possible by donating their talents or skills. I do also want to point out that the Take Back the Night Committee is an all-volunteer committee. We all have jobs or school or other things that we're doing, and we come together every year as a grassroots group. Some of us have worked in the anti-violence field for many years, no longer doing it professionally, so to speak, but our commitment to sexual violence is still very much with us. And so we start planning. We have a kind of tentative, okay, let's get together in October. We're sure we want to do this. And from there, we we take it and go through to make sure that this event happens. So we, of course, welcome anybody who would like to join us and help us plan for next year, come up with new ideas, any suggestions. And of course, we also welcome anybody who would like to support the Take Back the Night Committee. Like Casey mentioned, all these wonderful sponsors and anybody else, you're always welcome to join us and support us and figure out a way to get involved and lend your voice. And if you're interested in connecting with us, you can find us best on Facebook at Tucson's Take Back the Night. Also, if you're hearing this and you're thinking, Gosh, that sounds really heavy and somber. While pieces of this include that, I want you to hear, too, that there will be advocates available throughout the event to support you. And if you're listening to this and you're thinking, something like this has happened to me and I need support or resources, I want to just really quickly share a couple of those resources with you. You can contact Emerge. They operate a 24-hour bilingual crisis line. And that line is 888-428-0101. You can contact the Southern Arizona Center Against Sexual Assault, which also operates a 24-hour line at 520-327-7273, or the Anti-Violence Project, which is a program of the Southern Arizona AIDS Foundation focused on lesbian, gay, bisexual, transgender, queer, questioning people. And that number is 800 553 If this is happening to you, we believe you and you deserve support in whatever form. And if you don't feel comfortable reaching out to an organization, even though lots of folks are being helped by these organizations, that might not be your path. I hope you'll find someone in your life that you feel is safe who you can talk to about these things because you deserve that support. I also, through my many years of addressing this both professionally and on a volunteer basis, I always encountered people who I would tell them where I worked and you would sort of, you always saw the sort of familiar, I have no idea what to say to this look. And what we say to you is you have an enormous opportunity to intervene. And what we mean by that is you're sitting at the kitchen table and you're watching a news story about a young girl who was maybe at a party and boys, quote, took advantage. Or there's a story about uh, yet another trans woman who has been killed. And somebody that you're talking to or you're with says something about, oh, well, if they just didn't fill in the blank, if they didn't go there, if they weren't that kind of person, if they didn't drink, they should just know better. You have an enormous learning opportunity right there to say, hold on. When, if you were to call me right now and tell me that your car was stolen, the first question I wouldn't ask you is, well, what side of town were you driving it on? What color? Of course, look at the car you drive. What did, did what you should have known better. 
Those are not the kinds of questions that I would ask you if you called me and told me something terrible has happened to me. That is the last thing somebody should hear when they say I have been hurt, brutalized, terrorized, ashamed, humiliated, probably by somebody I know and trust, maybe even by somebody I love. That is not what they need to hear. They need to hear, I believe you, it's not your fault, and how can I help? And maybe in that moment, you feel very helpless, just like this person does, because you don't know what to do, you don't know what to say. But the one thing you can do is be supportive and believe and not question and know that it takes an enormous amount of strength for somebody to come forward. It takes an enormous amount of strength to say, this happened to me. And so we really need to, us as the bystanders, as the people in, in, the, in the lives of folks who are experiencing this, really know that our reaction can make an enormous difference. I want to thank you both for coming in here today and speaking directly to KXCI listeners, perhaps people who may be survivors or people who want to help out on this issue. How do you have those hard conversations? You know, I just went to a movie. It was marketed as a delightful (laughs) Mexican romantic comedy. And I felt that there was a lot of domestic violence issues in it. And the people that I went to see it with weren't impacted in that way. Well, I think it starts with starting it. If you're at a movie, if you hear something, if you see something on Facebook, if you read a tweet, if you're at brunch with your friends or you're at a family party, you're at church, you're at school, you're at work and you witness something or you hear something, you know, dig a little deeper and say, well, what did you mean by that? Or, you know, I saw this in this movie and I felt that there were some power and control issues going on there. What did you think about that? I think one of the hardest conversations to have is the one specifically about sexual violence because it involves the S word, which is sex. And we don't talk about sex normally. We don't incorporate sex and sexuality into the human experience in a healthy way in this society. If you think about the messaging given, I mean, I certainly remember it was all fear-based. It's all negative. It's all bad. It's all this will happen and there will be a bad consequence. We don't present it as part of the natural, normal, beautiful human experience. And that's the prevention side. That's where we have to start saying it's normal, it's natural, it's beautiful. These are the conditions in which it can be normal, natural, and beautiful. There has to be respect. There has to be boundaries. There has to be consent. There has to be open communication. I remember we were all over Pima County in schools, fifth grade through 12th grade, talking about these topics. It was age appropriate. So at the high school level, I I always got a little realer, as you will, with them. And and I would start asking them questions. And, you know, their reactions were always, no, miss, that's embarrassing. And I would always come back with, you're about to have sex. You are about to see each other naked. Maybe you want to have a conversation about it. So I think needing to incorporate what does it mean to engage in a healthy relationship? What are my boundaries? When I first 
crush on someone and I think about them 24-7 as we are prone to do, I need to start asking myself these kinds of questions. What are my, what do I want to do with this person? How am I going to convey what I'm okay doing, what I'm not okay doing? That's the prevention right there. That's the work that has to get done. That's what we need to do in order to shift this culture of normalization of terror that is happening to millions and millions of people in this country. You talked about resources for survivors. What are some prevention resources? Are there any? Well, I think when we're having conversations with organizations like the ones that I mentioned that are doing work on behalf of survivors, we can also find out what their next initiative is. We can get involved and support it. A lot of times we're threading prevention messages into service provision because Unfortunately, many people are not just experiencing these things once. They might be experiencing them repeatedly. And so getting involved, supporting those organizations, supporting events like these, come to Take Back the Night. Ask questions. Come and visit each of the tables and spend some time talking about how each of us survives having these conversations with the people in our lives all the time. We're happy to have that conversation with you. And there is some prevention programming going on through some of our sponsors where people are still in the schools by invitation to talk about these issues. The reality of the situation, though, is that prevention has unfortunately always been sort of the redheaded stepchild, to go with that expression, of this whole thing. And in a way, it's backwards. We really need to start focusing on the prevention side. The thing is, you don't need a program. You don't even need to volunteer. Start at home. Start in your neighborhood. Start in your community. What are you going to do to support survivors? And what are you going to do to start talking about prevention and incorporating these important messages into your everyday life? Take Back the Night is a great place, like Casey was saying. Come learn how to have this conversation. How do I talk to young people in my life? Or how do I talk to my neighbor? Or how do I talk to my coworker? How do I start being more meaningful about how to incorporate this into my everyday life? An example I use is, I think, a really straightforward one. If we're watching small children at a family function or at an event, and they're meeting someone for the first time, and we're urging them to kiss or hug that stranger, and they're reluctant, and we're so concerned about whether or not they're polite or they're going to offend that person that we encourage them to do something that is not consensual, to express a physical interaction with someone else. We're setting the tone right from that moment. So if we can start switching the way that we interact with our kids from moment one, it's okay if you don't want to kiss that stranger. It's your body. You get to decide what you do with it. That's a great starting point. To take that a little further, if they don't want to hug, are they willing to say, hello, nice to meet you? Do they want to shake hands? Do they want to wave? That way, you're incorporating that prevention message. But the other really super important piece is you're empowering that child to speak for themselves. And as the parent of a small child who already has developed quite the mind of his own, as difficult as that can be on a daily basis, I'm very proud of the fact that he is as empowered as he is, because I know that that's going to 
in the long term for the rest of his life serve as such an important thing. And with my friend's kids, it's always if they don't want to hug me, if they don't want to touch me, if they don't want to look at me, I'm not going to force that. And I'm and I'm going to say to the parent, it's totally cool if they don't want to come any near because it's about let them be who they want to be. Childhood has its phases. They go through their those phases. My child is an incredibly affectionate child, so he is likely to give you a hug, but that's his choice. If he doesn't want to, I would never force him to do that. Those are the everyday impacts that you can have to start really making a difference where it matters most, which is where you are. That's where it matters the most. Where you live, work, and play is where we should all be engaging in healthy, respectful relationships. So it's okay if you think, I don't have resources in terms of time or money or transportation to help these organizations. Well, you can help us all by incorporating these things into your everyday life. That's where it will be the most meaningful. We'll have to leave it there. My guests today have been Montserrat Caballero and Casey Chimney Star Condit both from the Take Back the Night Planning Committee for Tucson's Community Take Back the Night, which is going to be taking place on Wednesday, April 12th from 4 to 9 p.m. at the City of South Tucson Municipal Complex, 1601 South 6th Avenue on the corner of South 6th Ave and 26th Street. And you can learn more about this event at the Tucson Community Take Back the Night Facebook page. Thank you for listening to 30 Minutes on 91.3 KXCI Tucson. I'm Amanda Shogger.